Hi, this is Joe Hackman with the Manufacturing Advocates Podcast, and today I'm going to be talking with Dale Flood, who happens to be the VP of the American Welding Society and the Weld Project Manager at Tritool. Welcome, Dale. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, hey, let's start with the, the uh, Tritool background, because I understand uh, you weren't always a member of AWS, and your particular expertise was a part of that story. What... Uh, how did you get involved with Tritool and end up here in the Sacramento area? Uh, many years ago, I started out as a plumber, steam fitter, pipe fitter, and uh, as a welder in that industry in a local union in Terre Haute, Indiana. And I welded for a lot of years, and one day I saw a, a piece of equipment come into the school that was used for orbital welding, and it had a lot of dials and buttons and and feedback information coming on it, and it just interested me, and I asked to be trained on how to use it, and the more I did get involved, the more I liked working with it, and one day later on, after I'd got real proficient with it, there, there was a job in Chicago that was going on in a nuclear powerhouse, and I asked to be sent there. And And when I did, I think that they recognized that I knew how to use these machines a little bit better than most people did. And so I got involved in that job. And before it was over with, um, they offered me a position with that company, Chicago Bridge and Iron, as a superintendent for a weld superintendent. And they sent me around to a lot of different nuclear powerhouses to do recirculation piping replacements in the primary reactors. Uh, and uh, I just became well known in the industry as somebody who knew a lot about uh, running welding machines particularly video remote control. Hmm. In other words, we would sit in a uh, room somewhere distant from the welding operation and watch TV screens and had a panel with dials and buttons and switches, and Hmm. we would do things and make the weld work okay. And, And anyway, after many years of that, progressing, uh, the the nuclear industry started to slow down, and I went back to Weldon for a little while, and then a company in Nantes, France, named Asarok Polysud, decided they wanted to come into the U.S. industry, and so they, well, originally they were called Polysud, and they bought a company in the United States called Asterark in in Burbank area, and formed Astrarch Polysud, and they didn't have the expertise to market in the United States. The the clientele is a little bit different. I Hmm. I spent a lot of time over in France, and I just know their society, and I know our society. And and, uh, uh, so they started looking for people to go to work for them, and they found me and uh, started going to New York and interviewing me and asking me about coming to work for them. And it was kind of a long 
process. But finally, I moved from Syracuse, New York area to Burbank, and I was working there. And one of the biggest customers PolySuit had was Tritool, and uh, and they had secured some work down in Betaloche, uh in South South America. And and they and, and it was at another nuclear powerhouse, and so they asked me to come to work at Tritool to help them because they were having problems with uh, a particular metal they were trying to weld was cracking and mm. they didn't have a solution for it. And fortunately, I had met a lot of people who knew a lot of details about welding specialty metals and I didn't have the answer that Tritool needed but I knew the people that were necessary to give me the answers and I made some phone calls and almost within days we had turned that situation around and Mm. I've been with Tritool for I think 21 22 years almost now and and doing things like that ever since well that's a that's a great story I love the tie into uh, you seeing that circular welding machine in action and thinking how interesting is that. And we're starting to really recognize that exposing people to <clears throat> precision manufacturing to manufacturing is really critical because they may not realize how neat it is and how exciting it can be and how fun and rewarding it can be as a job. So it's a, it's a story that I, I'm, or a theme, I guess you could say, I've been hearing uh, over and over again. So um so then you uh, you got at some point involved with uh, AWS because now you're you know the VP. So tell me about AWS and what are the main objectives? Um, the, the mission of the society is to advance the science and technology and application of welding and similar type processes like brazing and soldering and thermal spray. But to state that more. To state it simply, it, it the AWS provides education and training for people to apply these joining processes and then other people to be able to test them to assure the qualities there. And they also provide a venue for the welding community to stay connected. They do this in different ways. One of, one of the more more aggressive programs that they've got going right now is through uh, like chat rooms that uh, on their website where it's for members only. And there's a lot of people using it, asking questions about all different kinds of things, how to weld this particular alloy, what Mm. process works best for, for that. Is there a certain process that speak that increases welding speed on some, some application, how to weld a bridge, how to inspect something. (laughs) And uh, I've seen a lot of their communications, and there's a lot of experts that answer these questions uh, just voluntarily. And uh, But more importantly to me, I think that the digital age has left a lot of personal communications behind. And so uh, there's like 22 districts, that the AWS has in the United States in hundreds of sections. And every month they have meetings and they have experts that come and speak at these meetings and teach about 
different different parts of the industry and mm. the topics are extremely varied they go to a lot of colleges and 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 take tours or different companies and tour their facilities and and so it's it's a good way to stay connected and meet a lot of people that you need to know to solve problems and find answers when things arise mm. yeah the power of the community it's uh it's impressive. You know, we have a strong local community with SME and AWS and industry, and it's it's great to see all that coming together. I love the self-supporting kind of uh, message board, sharing expertise. You see that elsewhere, uh, but it's a little bit more, maybe uh, very highly specialized in mm-hmm. your case, obviously. So how did you get uh, started with AWS? How did that come about? I. I was working at Tritel at the time, and they would go to uh, the AWS show annually and a few other shows, but that one in particular, and uh, I got to see an awful lot of interesting things to me. I was very interested in welding, and there was welding things all around me at these shows that I had never seen before, and and and. And most particularly for me, they had these robots that would do things and move around and pick things up and move them somewhere else and then join them by all different kinds of processes, including welding. And hmm. and uh, one day when I was at home, somebody that I just met uh, asked me to come to a AWS section meeting. I didn't even know what it was, but... I uh, thought it might be interesting, so I just went for to learn. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I met a lot of other people who had similar interests to me. And the more I, the more I talked to them and communicated, the more interested I became. And and so uh, I started attending regularly. One day, I offered to be the newsletter editor, and they said. Sure, you take right over and and have have that spot, and I did that for maybe a year, and then I became vice chairman of the section in Sacramento, and then chairman, and and then uh, the position opened up for a district director, which all of these things I I, I didn't really understand, I didn't know too much about, but uh, I ran for that spot and was elected by a lot of people in the Northern California and Northern Nevada to be a district director. It's a three-year position, but I, I served for two terms, so it was six years. And in that capacity, you serve on the board of directors for the AWS, American Weldon Society. And so I started meeting a lot of people nationally and internationally many of which I had read their books and I read articles that they wrote in different magazines. And I, I found it so darn interesting to me that I could uh, actually have been reading about things that maybe like Tony Anderson wrote about. He's He writes the aluminum questions and answers and Damien Kotecki wrote about stainless steel and and different professors, uh, 
that I'd heard, I knew about, I, I was meeting all these people at uh, national AWS meetings and, and it was just such a mind opening to me to be able to meet them all. And so things progressed and I've come to the end of my second term as district director and you can't run for a third. So I ran for some position called a, a director at large that lasted about nine months and I and I ran for vice president and which was a little abnormal in that uh, most of the people who run for VP don't get elected their first term. I mean, the first time they run, there's a lot of competition for those positions and, uh, and, and uh, it was abnormal for me in that the first time I ran, I was elected. And so I guess I was abnormally lucky. <laughs> That's great. So you're, you're vice president now. Is there future plans or? Well, each uh, vice president, VPs serve three terms and you got to get elected each year for first year, second year, third year VP. And um, in 2018, uh, I hope to serve as the president and in November of this year, I'll be at Fabtech, and I've already submitted my uh, application package to to be elected as the president for 2018. And wow. if I get that far, you serve uh, a couple of years after as a past president with responsibilities. So I'll be involved until 2020 uh, in uh, different capacities and chairs of different meetings and wow that's great well thank you for that long-term commitment and i'm sure servicing the needs of that organization has been very rewarding for you obviously you've taken it this far so and good luck thank you <laughs> so um <clears throat> i'm gonna kind of change things up a little bit here and ask you why what's important about manufacturing why is manufacturing important i think that I think it's the backbone of the society in any country. I I know I, I've I've traveled around the world a lot. I, I've been in more countries than I can even keep track of anymore. And and I uh, my parents were actually missionaries. I I lived in, for a while in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Um, and but. Far more than that, I've gone to a lot of industrial countries, and it seems that the more manufacturing there is in any country, the more jobs there are from whether it's a you know corporate executive or middle management, upper management, lower management, the people in the shops, people cleaning the floors. <laughs> doing machining, joining things together. It, it, it creates huge numbers of jobs and all the companies that have to service them and provide products for them to start with uh, raw material and work it through the manufacturing process. Uh, I, I, for instance, did, most people don't know that just in their cell phone alone there's 900 joined components so you could say 900 welds in a cell wow. phone and 
all day long when you drive down the road, you go under bridges. There's a tremendous amount of welding that go on on them, uh, whether it's a radio tower sticking up for someone to do transmitting from or or skyscrapers, hospitals. It, it's, it's, there's just a tremendous amount of manufacturing that provides so many jobs for the people in this country. Yeah. That's a, a, that was such an eye opener for me. I I really had no idea how big the impact of a single manufacturing job was a, until I really got serious about doing this podcast and I was really blown away to learn it's all those extra fingers of the supply chain and all the related uh business it really adds up to a tremendous amount of economic benefit. So since we're talking about manufacturing, what are some of the uh, greatest challenges that manufacturers are facing right now? In my opinion, the myth that you need to get a college degree to be successful in your career is is the biggest roadblock. I, I, I think that uh, there's so many opportunities that a lot of people just aren't really ready for college or they just never were interested in that kind of thing. I've got friends who started out in the trades and were very good skilled craftspeople and they learned about the basics, about joining things together and how to do it. And then they went back to college later on and became welding engineers. And one of them's got a master's degree in that and that discipline, and he now works as a senior welding engineer for PG&E, and he's involved in replacing a lot of the gas transmission lines all around Northern California. And and so I think that college has its place, and I don't think anybody should ever think that I don't think that it fits, but I think there's so many people who don't fit that mold, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's better that we keep ourselves well-rounded so not only do we have the executives to do their part of the work, but we have the workers to be able to do what needs to be done to get products built. And Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's a very um, uh, important topic. And, you know, in many communities, there's not a high college graduation rate anyway. So um, if you have a large workforce that really doesn't have a plan, they can get some skills and go and work in manufacturing, at least for a little while. And then if they want to go back to college, they decide, hey, I want to pursue finance. That looked like it was pretty neat. I talked to the CFO of this company, and that was pretty cool, and I think I'm going to go back and get a a degree in finance. Great, more power to you. But uh, the the truth is that you're you're absolutely correct there, and there's a lot of unfilled jobs. I know you're aware of that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, there's there's information right now about a hundred by 2018. They they believe that there's going to be a hundred and eighty one thousand unfilled positions in the welding industry. That and uh, by some years later after that, I can't remember, maybe 2024, 
there was like 325,000 welding positions that will go unfilled. So uh, AWS is working hard to to stop that from happening. Yeah. So if, if somebody's listening or they know someone that, that might be interested in AWS, what's the uh, best way for people to learn more about you guys? The most available and simplest way is just go to aws.org and there's numerous ways you can explore the industry through that website. But like I was talking earlier, one of the most important things to me is uh, on that site that they've got a map of the whole country and you can find an area where you live and and see the district you live in and then work your way down to find the section and people around you. And there's uh, n- numerous uh, section, hundreds of sections across the United States and almost any major city you're in, there, there's monthly meetings that they can attend and and learn more about what they do. One of the things that was kind of surprising, I guess you might say to me, is I went to a school and learned how to weld, and I was a good welder, and I could do exceptionally well at very critical types of welds, but I didn't understand why all the rules were that they had that they taught me. And and sometimes I, I would admit that I didn't really follow every rule perfectly because it didn't really uh, seem that important and it took so much extra time. But as I learned more about the reasons for doing what you were doing and those and that learning come from a lot from the AWS mm. The importance of of the what they taught us to do and the ramifications of what w- would and could happen if we didn't do what they were teaching us to do were significant. So I I really think that it ha- is helpful for a lot of tradespeople to learn more even after they get a credential and they start working in an industry to really get a understanding of the importance. Mm. So AWS seems like it's pretty good. How many, roughly how many members do you guys have right now? Over 73,000 and uh, about 11, 12,000 internationally. And so uh, an awful lot of them uh, work in, in inspection positions. Mm. Uh, but, uh, they're in all kinds of industries, and a lot of them are in manufacturing and maybe aren't exactly involved in welding, but they've got welding departments in their companies, and a lot of the people who are part of companies that, when, like, for instance, if you become a, a company becomes a sustaining member, they get, uh, I think it's 10 memberships they get for different hmm. people in the company, and so different... And so there's a lot of employees that get memberships through that kind of a program, but there's an awful lot of them are, are students and, and just work in the industry. And oh, okay. I thought of a 
kind of an important follow-up to the doing things a certain way. Uh, it seems like standards are an important part of, of welding and AWS's material. Can you tell me more about what AWS does regarding standards? It's kind of amazing because uh, they've got a one of their business models of which they have eight different ones uh, is a standards department. And there's over 200 standards that are developed for all kinds of things like welding of aluminum or aircrafts or, or railroads or bridges or just about anything that you can imagine that, that is welded like, train cars or Siemens right here in Sacramento has a tremendous amount of welding goes on. I've taken a tour of their facility with the AWS and, and, and to watch an 80 foot long car be welded together with all these panels and keep these panels within two millimeters Mm. of flat for the whole 80 foot length. It's such an interesting thing to see them do using lasers and the like. And But anyway, these standards are used for all different kinds of weldments that are done. And, and the interesting part is they're developed by uh, volunteers. So there's over uh, 1,500 volunteers in the United States, and some of them from international countries, come to the United States, and they have meetings maybe twice a year. Sometimes it's done through uh, tele- through communications, and they don't necessarily meet together. But most of the time, they do meet in some interesting place, and mm-hmm. they, they all have a a lot of them have a vested interest in that type of welding. You know, if it would be automotive welding, there'd be a lot of them there from the automotive industry, and they and and they uh, and they're all volunteers. So, fifteen hundred people over two hundred different committee committees uh, put these develop these standards, and then as after they. They, they each one of them have a secretary that's uh, committed to them from the AWS. This would be a staff person who's on payroll with AWS. They So they got a means of standardizing these standards. And, and after they get developed in a draft form, they go before another committee within the AWS, which is also volunteers, called mm-hmm. the Technical Activities Committee, TAC, and they get reviewed by AWS and, of course, uh, some of the higher-level management people within the AWS. And then once they pass all that level, they and sometimes they're rejected, and they go back to the committees, and the committee members got to rework, uh, I should say, Frequently, they're rejected <laughs> because of different kinds of of technical issues, and and so. But once they make it far enough along, they're submitted to ANSI, American National Standards Institute, and they get reviewed by them. Most of the time, they're accepted by ANSI. So uh, 
but it's a separate organization and it is oversight to see that everything's correct and and every i is dotted and <laughs> t's are crossed and they haven't overlooked something so it's a very technical drawn out process i, I would let i would say that i've met a tremendous number of the people on these committees and they are extremely technically minded mm. i mean to say uh, they may not be great conversationalists <laughs> For, for a person to talk to about any subject other than what they know so much about and what they do know so much about isn't the kind of thing that most people want to discuss. So <laughs> unless unless you have an interest in their particular committee subject. Well, I, would, I, I think we all have an interest because we want our, the products we're using and standing on and you know driving and whatever to be safe. But not that level of interest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, the uh, certification aspect of AWS um, seems also very, uh, for individuals, those sort of areas of certification, how do you guys manage that, that platform? How does that work? Um, like what certifications do you carry, for example? Actually, other than welding, I I don't, and okay. and that's not uncommon for AWS because, uh, and, and and personally, I don't weld that much anymore either. So uh, I'm sure all my certifications, even for welding, have expired. Uh, I now work for Tritol. Manufacturing, and I work in research and development. I, I've actually got five domestic patents and over thirty some. I don't even remember anymore internationally huh. for work with uh, robotic welding equipment. And so I stopped uh, production welding a long time ago. But there, but within the AWS, there's so many people that are working management positions or oversee the the quality of the products that the raw stock that's being brought in they they don't there's many of them that don't have certification mm -hmm. but within the the society there's a, a large group that work regularly with welding inspection and their their term CWIs certified welding inspectors it's pretty challenging to pass that test it, it's something it's a test that's given by the AWS for a while I was the the test exam I, I gave the test mm. I, I supervised the test uh, operations but I wasn't a CWI while I was given it so it was a little paradoxical but i had not learned so much about the society that i knew enough about how to do all, all of that work and so when they take that test they, there's three different parts one of them's hands-on and they actually have pieces of uh, they're plastic but they very much look like uh weldments and they, and mm. they have flaws built into them and you you need to look at those pieces of plastic and find the flaws and identify them and know a lot about 
how big they can be and be acceptable or when they're rejectable. And then there's two different parts that are book front test from questions from the book. I think the acceptance rate for these tests is, there's a lot of people that don't pass it the first mm. time, maybe like 75%, 78% pass and, and the others don't. There's a lot of people that take it a second and a third time. And, uh, but uh, after a person's been a CWI for six years, depending on their background, they become a, a, cert, a senior CWI, SCWI. And uh, the, the testing requirements for them are a little bit different, but uh, there's a, the, the income for a welding inspector is quite well. Plenty of them make well into the six digit figures and and so it's a, it's something a lot of people who are welders but feel like they don't they're not able to meet the physical demands mm -hmm. of welding uh, a lot of them get into weld inspection and do very well in their career hmm. now do you do you miss welding at all do you do you occasionally do something just because you enjoy it or I, I wonder, after having a career where you were, it, it was built around that welding. Is that something that you still still appeals to you, still calls you? I don't miss it, but the reason I don't is because we sell uh, th this orbital automated products, and constantly when we are working with those, we need to tech coupons up in other words you take a two pieces of pipe and you and you cut two short pieces maybe 10 inches long and they're beveled on on each end and then they they got to be tacked together and then you put this piece of machinery on the pipes and you weld it up so mm. i still weld manually I, it's just not in production. I, I tack these pipes together. Some of them are on J-bevels where they're brought, they touch together, and you just make a fusion tack on it with with a TIG. Or others are left open root, and uh, you might use MIG to tack them together. So, Or you could use TIG to tack them together and... Uh, it's an interesting thing because for the first time in the history of welding that I'm aware, uh, we, we've got the capability now to do open root TIG with uh, orbital equipment or open root MIG with orbital equipment. And then we use different processes like a flux core to weld, fill, and cap and... Hmm. And uh, although although welders are certainly needed to run these machines, the their productivity is significantly increased. I mean to say, uh, welds that were taking people uh, m multiple days to weld with a stick rod, SMAW, shielded metal arc welding. Uh, multiple days or 
using a MIG gun uh, manually that took two shifts, we're able to weld them out now with a machine in maybe four to five hours. Wow. So in answer to your question, I don't miss welding because <laughs> I still do welding, and I do a real lot of it. Yeah. I just uh, not as much. I just don't do production welding, although many times when I make these welds for demonstration purposes, customers want to keep them and do x-rays on them or ultrasonic testing. You know, a lot of people don't realize that uh, you can take a piece of steel and x-ray it and those the, the gamma rays or go right through Mm-hmm. six inches thick of steel and they can develop film on them and you can see flaws within them or they have ultrasonic testing the same kind of ultrasonic that they see babies inside <laughs> of a woman's womb they, they they the waves from the ultrasound bounce off of the flaws and reflect back to the surface and mm-hmm. and these ultrasonic uh, ultrasonic testing machines can see this and recognize it as a flaw and identify what kind it is and tell you how far down into the metal it is and and you can do repairs and get it out of there so a lot of my welds are still tested and i know whether i'm doing a good job or not (laughs) well i won't ask you i won't put you on the spot if you are still going doing a good job but i suspect you are i suspect you are um yeah so i um wanted to kind of ask, kind of pose a question. So we've sort of identified that, you know, welding is still, even with automation and everything else, uh, one person can do a lot more, but it's still very technical. We still need quality trained individuals uh, to do these jobs. So, you know, maybe one of the myths is that the machines kind of eliminate the need for the people. And, and it, I don't think that's necessarily the case i think it's like you pointed out it's changing so one person is able to do more but somebody's got to maintain those machines somebody's got to build those machines you know it's it's not like they're just going to run forever this isn't the terminator movies you know it's uh this is the real world so um and this isn't exclusive to welding you could really address this question any way you'd like um what would you like to see change to improve the manufacturing industry in the U.S.? I'd like uh, end user. I'd like the manufacturing industry to get more involved in the things that they need within the educational industry. I mean to say, there, there's such a disassociation by some companies in promoting the the workforce that they need to come into the industry that and and school counselors in particular promote college educations that we just don't have enough people coming into the industry and in my opinion far too many tax dollars are taken away from companies and individuals and try to use that to promote some types of industries. But I think that the people running these companies have a much better now, much greater knowledge of what they need 
and can do it much more efficiently in spending those dollars than if it's run through governments where there's administrative costs and some of it gets, a lot of it gets used up in, in administration and it doesn't really get back to the industry where it needs to be applied. And scholarships, AWS has worked diligently to raise funds for scholarships and and uh, not only helping in the universities where we have metallurgists and welding engineers and all, all the associated disciplines that are necessary for manufacturing, but a lot of the funds are going directly to community colleges and, and, and some to union efforts to uh, train people to be able to do the welding and joining processes that mm. are necessary. Oh, that's, I think that's some good ideas, and um, I appreciate that. That uh, apprenticeships and you know our involvement, industry's involvement in education, I see that growing here, and that's very encouraging to me. People are starting to understand. So, well, Dale, um, we're just about out of time or a lot of time today. So, uh, it's, it's been a very uh, interesting conversation. I learned a lot about AWS and I really appreciate you, uh, uh, coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I enjoy talking about welding and, <laughs> and I know a lot about this industry and, and I guess, that helped me get to the position I'm at with the AWS, and I, I'm honored to be uh, in in this spot to represent this this industry. Well, you you've done well. So, Dale, is is there um, a contact page or something at AWS if people were uh, to look look you up if they wanted to uh, reach out to you and give you comments? Is that is that possible? Is there any kind of uh, are you listed on the AWS website? How can people get a hold of you? Yeah. If you just go to aws.org and up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a link called About. And when you click on it, you see that section where there's a drop-down of districts and sections, and one of them says officers, and uh, I'm one of the officers, so I'll show up on that page. And, yeah, there's an email address and I think maybe phone numbers and the like. And I'm I work at Tritool every almost every working day. So I we Tritool's got a website tool Tritool.com, and they can go there and find out about our company and get to me as well. Great. Well, again, we've uh, been talking with Dale Flood, uh, the VP of the American Welding Society, and hopefully the upcoming president in 2008 and also the Weld Project Manager there at Tritool. And Dale, thank you again very much for being here, and uh, enjoy the show. Thank you.